Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Lauren Larkin. She's an Episcopal priest that works with high school students. She's preaching this Sunday and finishing a PhD in her spare time. She's also part of the dynamic duo that does the Azair Uncaged podcast, which you should definitely check out. I'm so sad I'm not going to hear her preach this Sunday live and in person, but at least we can hear her thoughts on the texts from which she will preach. I give you Lauren Larkin. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's the weather is strange. Like it's it's overcast and won't rain. Oh, like, it, yeah. It's one of those things like, I don't know. It's one of the um, intermittent like transition phases of weather that does nothing. Where are and you? Windy. Greater Philadelphia. Oh, OK. OK. All right. Yeah. Well, mm, yeah. Northeast. And you're in Louis. You're in Louisiana. Yes. It's a big state. So Very. you're in part of the place that didn't get rocked by the hurricane no we really didn't in fact there were i have um i because we have moved to um louisiana i now have a hurricane app that tells me where the hurricanes are so that i we can prepare um and watching um harvey come in and then you know tracking irma and stuff like that we were um in between you know how like there's at one point like harvey broke off into like another side party like down and near new orleans and stuff like that we were in the band in between the two and didn't get we got a lot of rain we got a lot of wind but we didn't get the really bad stuff and so we were ready to go ready to be evacuated but never had to happen so well thank god because if you'd have been evacuated i mean maybe you couldn't have done this podcast yeah exactly i mean for other significant reasons too your family (laughs) other things but i'm just saying for my own self-interest so you teach high school i do and you're preaching sunday to a group of mainline protestants (laughs) yes so which is better training for which is 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 working and preaching with mainline protestants better training for working high school students or high school students (laughs) better for working with mainline Protestants. How does that work? Um, I I spend very little time in the church because I'm only there about, um, I only really, I'm there every Sunday, but I do very small roles. Um, my, my primary job is at the high school. Um, so I can't so, really. So it's a church, it's a church related high school. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, and so I um, so I spend most of my time in the classroom and then I spend some of my time at the church doing things. This is like I only preach every third month or something like that. Like there's oh, like once once every three months or something like that. Like it's it's very um, it's very infrequently that I'll be in the pulpit um, and I'll rarely celebrate, which honestly I'm fine with. Um, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. I mean, you mean celebrate the sacraments, right? Because I imagine you celebrating a lot I, as a person. I do. I do tons of celebrations. Um, I'm more of a preacher and a teacher than I am like doing the Eucharist. Like I'm not the churchy kind of person that way. Yeah. Um, and everyone keeps saying, maybe you should stop saying that now that you're ordained in the church. I'm like, no, it's just honest. Um, 
So Carl I, Bar at the end of Carl Bar at the end of his life said his one of his professors said you get an A for homiletics and a D for liturgy. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah. So so I'm I'm so what what what's better training for what? Um, I I really don't have a clear. I don't have a. I can't make that comparison, but I can tell you this, that I did CPE with um, a, a residential program that was oriented towards people who have had brain trauma, and that had prepared me for high school. <laughs> so so no offense, high schoolers, but, um, you know, uh, brain trauma, people who have suffered brain trauma and high school students, there is actually a lot of overlap in the sense that you have to enter into their environment. You have to learn how to listen to them and you have to learn how to speak their language and meet them where they are. And, um, I really found that my CPE training was actually more, um, really sort of just that deep in the fires, deep in the kiln sort of preparation for high school. Um, so I would, I would guess that that's actually great training for any con context where you're doing ministry. Yes. Like that's actually probably good advice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so let's dig in. You're preaching Sunday Yeah. before we dig in. And this is a, like a sprint, not a marathon. So okay. we'll have to go quick, but like how many of your high school students that you work with will be there to hear you preach Sunday? Probably maybe ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, one. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I haven't noticed. Um, at the, I usually only go to the eleven o'clock. Uh, though this Sunday I'll be preaching three times. Um, so I don't really. I haven't seen too many high school students that I teach in my classes show up also at the church. So even though there might be relatives or parents that go, I haven't seen a lot of the high school students. Well, I hope they all show up. And first. <laughs> text we got is exodus 16 we got the israelites complaining again like yeah. the, god has shown up for them again and again and then there are survival challenges like at any point i would guess in the spiritual life and they're like hey if only we had died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt when we sat by flesh pots and ate our fill of bread for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger so what do you do like with this Will you touch on this? Um, actually, it's the one passage that I won't, but I've been contemplating it because um, uh, there's a uh, the it's just I, I, I dropped it out because um, I wanted to focus on the Matthew passage, actually, um, the gospel passage. Um, so, no, I'm not touching on it because I couldn't I, I didn't I, I didn't know what to do with it, really. <laughs> In relation to it, is it too obvious as a mom and someone who teaches high schoolers like oh my gosh god's kids are complaining again <laughs> when's the next great thing what do we get to do next right <laughs> i like the too obvious <laughs> i like the i like the drama of the israel of, of the israelites like oh he just should have died like he just should have killed us back there like there's um it, i i feel that it when you bring when you want to bring that aspect of the scripture down into where it plays in the dirt, right? Then you have, um, you have us all like really all of humanity can understand that sort of tension with the divine movements. Like, why'd you bring us out here to kill us by starvation? Um, why did you move me to Louisiana for things to get really bad, you know, to die in a hurricane? Um, you know, like you have those, you have those questions, um, with the, with the, the divine movements in our lives. And so it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, um, it's so human, right? It's, it's one of those texts. It's so human. Only human. 
then we have another human text, the Philippians text. Yes. Although maybe it's well, a superhuman text or, or another perspective on the human condition because Paul is talking about here to the Philippian church. He's actually saying that it's interesting. And this is, I guess, the ideal Christian life, right? To me, living is Christ and dying is is gain. And he's no longer in the flesh. Or, or he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Um and he wants to like live his life in a, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. But that, isn't that paradoxical, this whole thing about like living is Christ and dying is gain? Yeah, unless you look at it in the sense that, you know, through the event of um, justification, taking on a more social perspective of that event, you um, you you die to yourself and you gain everything because you gain God, you gain others, you gain your you gain an intimate um, and uh, intimate relationship with others where you now are living for them versus just for yourself. Like think about when you live just for yourself, then you live turned in on yourself um, and where with, we get we get uprighted. I told, I told the students that imagine humanity apart from the event of justification is like a coiled up spring and that we need to be uncoiled. An external event needs to come along and pull both ends and straighten us out so that we can actually look up and look around and live towards others and not curled in on ourselves. Um, by the way, I'm making all these hand motions so that <laughs> everyone if can this see. This was a video <laughs> podcast. You would, it would be amazing. <laughs> Um, so, so I, 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 I do, it is, it is when you take, when you take what Paul's saying and you put it into the world, um, to die is gain is, 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 doesn't make any sense. Um, it, why would, why wouldn't, you know, uh, why wouldn't seizing your life now be that aspect of gaining? Um, because it becomes too turned in on self. Um, and so really it makes sense when you step back and you look at the, the, the meta narrative of scripture and God's activity and that we reflect that activity out of our own lives. It's all out and horizontal, right? It moves down and out. And so we are brought down in death and then re recreated, resurrected in this new life that is now outward. Um, and now I have no problem talking about that. I am, a, I, I like, I love ethics and I love talking about, um, the, the place of works in the Christian Christian's life. And I actually think that that, that dynamic of the, of the event of justification actually sort of transitions our work towards our neighbor from toil which was sort of a turned in concept that I need to toil against the earth to get what I need from it and is transitioned into this beautiful thing called work, which is the fruitful, fruitful labor for me, um, is outward. Now it's actually a blessing. It's actually, um, freedom, uh, rather than this struggle and fight, which the concept of toil sort of has embedded in it. Uh, and this so. is like straight out of Luther, right? Like Luther in the freedom of a Christian says like, basically, you know, Aristotle says they're either, if there's a Lord, there's a servant. If there's a servant, there's a Lord or master. And he says, hey, the Christian's Lord of all and servant of all. And so, like, once you know that God's love is NSA, right? No strings attached. Right. All, all of a sudden, you're the Lord of everything because no one can really get your goat. And yet, also, that frees you to be out of yourself. Yes, Yes, yes. And it takes it takes the um the, the condemnation. So when Luther's talking about the event of justification, it's always um and and in terms of justification by faith alone, it's always in terms of justification. Um and I think that 
uh, he has, it's, it's all about removing that condemnation from the human person. So the law no longer can carry a threat because the law is silenced. It's in a, it's in a voice, you know, a soundproof box. Uh, we are now freed to do well. We are freed to fail. We are also free to do well. Um, we're also free to be, you know, to have our idiosyncrasies. Um, we're, we're freed to be passionate about others, proclaim issues, um, we're, we're, we're allowed to, um, advocate for the oppressed, uh, be voices for the voiceless. We are free to, um, even be engrossed and, um, very active in issues of, um, injustice. Uh, and so, because it, none of it has, none of it can have any attachment to our acquisition of righteousness, um, in a, in, in the vertical sense. And so, we um we're we're free. We're now able to do it because now we can do it in the in the broken human way that we're going to do it. It no longer yeah, now sounds, has to be perfect. It sounds like what you're saying is Paul's saying you're not just free from stuff. You're free for stuff. Yes. Yes. Like it, it, like and free for it in a way that you never were free before because like hey it's like oh hey look there's the the chick I want to take to the prom so now I'm gonna be nice to her friend who I didn't like because I want to take her to the prom or hey there's this person who I would be nice to in the high school you know locker room or whatever but I'm gonna be mean just because I know I want that person's approval so once you know you have the ultimate approval mm-hmm. you can start to actually see things as they really are yeah like in the in the divine economy yeah and you really do the, the what's really striking the more I contemplate this um, the event of justification in the life of the hearer the more that we the the more i find the more that i am i embrace that the more i get myself back um and i find that that's an aspect that is typically dropped when we talk about you know um if if you want to find yourself you will lose yourself but the thing is is that in losing yourself and in dying you gain you gain christ but you also gain yourself you're actually more you towards others than you are towards yourself yeah, Eugene Peterson on Matthew 16 or whatever translates it not lose yourself, but if you want to find your true self. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, the the real self that's hidden with God in Christ. I mean, yeah. That's free that's free from the bondage of the false stories and self-justification yeah. projects and is free for real love. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because now it can be faulty. Now it can be have its cracks and its and its broken brokennesses. Um and it it can it can happen. So so unconditional love um, now has a more human taint to it, um, because it, um, it will look human. It's, it's, you know, one, you know, one beggar leading another beggar to bread, or it's two, um, you know, broken human beings trying to love each other and understanding that we are coming at each other with this brokenness, but it's okay because the failure there, um, the, the, the failures can, um, be sources of reconciliation, right? They can be sources of improvement. They can be sources where you work through and the relationship can actually become stronger. So you look at the concept of forgive, uh, forgiveness within a relationship and think of all the death that has to occur for, if you have like a big issue and you think of all the, the deaths that have to occur, you have your death, you have your friend or spouse's death and you have the death of the relationship and something new has to come back in. So to die is to gain because every time you go through one of those deaths, you gain something new, you gain more. And I think the more that we gain is definitely the divine, um, definitely God, definitely understanding of Christ's love for us. Um, but we, we gain ourselves, um, because we learn, we learn that it's 
okay. We learn that we're loved. Um, and I think that's what we, I think that's what we need to learn. Um, and that frees us up for others because now we're gathering sort of our, our building blocks to stand on. Um, and we move outwards. So. bated breath because you told me this text in the gospel text is what you're preaching Sunday. Primarily and, Matthew, and, yeah. And the gospel text is the parable that, it's funny, I was talking with someone who's a seminary student and they were, their program is going through some changes. And one of the changes, and, and their changes are redemptive and this person thinks the changes are great. But one of the things is in the midst of changing location, changing, they're going to change the grading thing. Oh. And the A will drop from 93 to 90. Oh. And they and they were frustrated that well I earned my A's. Yeah. And this is a person that's a big person into the grace of God and I said, "Well, there's a story about this." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By some guy with long hair. It's like the Simpsons. Marge, there was a guy who didn't always go to church and fought with the religious leaders had long hair. Marge, what was his name? <laughs> like when he went <laughs> But like but isn't this like maybe the most Christian story that Jesus ever tells that Christians don't get? Um, yeah, I would say that it's a hard one to swallow because, um, the, the hubris of humanity is significant and we like ourselves and we really want to get what we've earned and deserve. And really that. But is it that we don't like ourselves and we want to like ourselves? Like we, we, we think we like ourselves, but we really don't. <laughs> well, it's true. No, I, I, I agree with that. As long as you're defining that the, we, we don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think. Pride, we're prideful. I think we maybe, maybe deep down, I, I, someone who struggles with, with the hatred of self, right? Like I, I feel that tangibly. Like I'm definitely one who's like, I do not, I do not err on the side of like hubris and pride and like all that stuff. Like I don't, I don't have that concept. It's actually something I'm working through now. Um, but I, um, I, I do think that when it comes to push and shove, a human being will default to choosing themselves to some extent. Yeah. Okay. And we'll choose ourselves and we want what we feel that we have earned. And it's, um, it, it anything shy of that is now unfair. And so even when we think about justice, we like to define it in terms of retribution, right? So it's justice is fair. Eye for an eye. We really want that to be true. But then Jesus turns it all on, on its head throughout the gospels. And this parable really is offensive and it should be really offensive and I'm probably going to get offensive here, but it should be really offensive to those of us in the Western world that are sitting in laps of luxury, um, that we have earned our keep. We get to keep our money. We get to keep our things. And so I can use it the way I want to. And if I want to give that I'm going to give. And really this text is throwing that all on its head. This text is like, now is it, is it yours? And is it, now something that you've earned and shouldn't, if, if God himself or, you know, God in, in God's self is going to talk about, um, uh, Jesus using this parable, um, to uh, communicate a characteristic of the kingdom, a communicate, communicate a characteristic of God's self. Um, then we as Christians, um, following in faith, then we start to communicate this attribute as well. And so it really does sort of, um, looking at the parables as events, word events that sort of penetrate time and space, um, referring to, um, 
Everhart Jungel on that one. Um, but it's these events that sort of open up and a whole new thing arises and it's something radical and it's something that doesn't make sense. And he often has to explain what it means. Um, and it brings, it should bring the hearer to the conclusion that, oh, wow, like the parable is really about the equality of all workers, whether or not they worked an hour or whether or not they worked 10 hours. Same thing as like, we don't earn anything more. You believe in, a, in an afterlife and a heaven. You don't have more jewels in your crown because you've believed since you were five and you don't have any more than the person who last minute conversion. If you believe in that aspect of, of conversion, it's all the same. This kind of gets us into concepts of universalism, right? You've got this equality, this layering out of this one event. Um, and so we do, we should read this text. We should be reminded of con the concepts, um, the economic concepts of socialism. Um, we should be brought into a, an awareness. Wait, you're in Louisiana. <laughs> you're not going to say socialism, right? You're not going to say that. I know I had to say it in the privacy of my house. Um, but we should really be, we, we should be brought into, um, it, it, into that, that, that equal, uh, communal aspect of the event of justification. I mean, really, really brought into it. And those are what those word events, those parables do in our, in our time and space. And, um, they're real events. Um, and they should be shocking and they should be, they should, they, you should be offended. Um, and I think the gospel can be offensive. Um, and that's its beauty. <laughs> it's, a, it's interesting too. Like you talk about like as Westerners, like in as Americans, you know, and people in Western Europe that have in late modernity, like, you know, been at the top of the socioeconomic food chain at the expense of many others. Like, you know, I think of that book, um, Guns, Germs, and Steel, where Jared Diamond, the author, like he was, I think he was talking to some, somebody that like had Aborigine roots in Australia or something. And they're like, why is your culture on top and why is mine left out? And he felt so convicted. And he just, he wrote a book about like, and he, he, it came down to guns, germs, and steel. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that like the wet, it was a lot of dumb luck. Like, the, like the reason why we're talking on a great broadband connection and, you know, a, a, an empire that's maybe in a state of decline, mm -hmm. um, whatever you think of our president, he's huge. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> you know, like, but it's all dumb. Like, you know, it, like, Whatever, like, you know, you and I are both people that, like, are academic philosophical types mm -hmm. are good at solving intellectual problems. But had we been born in, you know, late Bronze Age, we would have been people that would have been left behind. And, you know, so at any time, like, if you're the person, right, that's the that's the hedge fund manager, mm -hmm. your intelligence would have been useless for most of modern times. <laughs> right? So, just, yeah. so you should be all the more grateful that you were born in the one time, right, yeah. that actually – you're useful to somebody. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. And, and there is, um, you know, when you, when you think about empire, you know, power really wants to always stay in, in charge. And so it will do whatever it will do to kind of maintain that power structure. And, um, when, you know, you brought up like, why is, you know, your country better than my country? Um, it's, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, the, the privilege and the elite sort of maintaining that power structure and that power structure demands that there be oppression somewhere in the system. And so, you know, that'll, that'll be in the sense of keeping other, you know, countries or people we have, you know, we have hierarchies in this country that need to be dealt with. Um, 
Um, we have horrible issues of racism and sexism and um, economic oppression uh, across the board everywhere. And um, it's it's bad and it's used to keep a certain power structure in play. Um, and that's that's something that I think that this text calls into question. God himself does not have a power structure. Um, it's it, there's no favorites. I was reading um, I this makes me just probably so weird, but, um, I, I was reading, um, in preparation, just the preliminary stuff for, for the preaching on Sunday, I was reading, um, just a little segment of Rudolf Boltmann on this, on this very passage and, um, just like one line. And it just pretty much was like, you know, there's no, there's no hierarchy amongst us humans with God. And so, why would, why would we, we are, we love hierarchy. We love power. And so we want to establish that and then maintain our power. And then really it should be dismantled. And I think this text calls us, calls us into, um, question our own, um, our own structures. So there's this piece of reporting that continues to go around. I think it's pretty much true that like when Donald Trump has these dinner parties, when dessert comes, everyone gets one scoop of ice cream and he gets two. <laughs> and, and so it sounds like what you're saying is, at the kingdom meal, everyone everyone will get two scoops. Yeah, even Don, even Donald Trump. We'll all just we'll all be because it's sort of like, hey, you're the firstborn, but we'll all be the. It's like Hebrews, we're all the firstborn. Yeah, so everyone will get two scoops, so we can live like that. One one uh, could say one scoop at a time. One what, scoop at a time. <laughs> one, one scoop at a time. One could say that a really good leader would give everyone else more scoops, and he would take none. Like Jesus, I would say that. Help us all, Jesus. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Laura, I want to have you back again. This is like an amazing blitzkrieg through these texts. I love and it. I'm so thrilled that some people in the state of Louisiana will be blessed by what you're going to bring. Yeah, we hope so. I have to write it. <laughs> God bless you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe or Pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to Lauren for being on the podcast and check out her podcast, Azair Unchained. And thanks again to you for listening. Until next time, fare thee well.